0: The presenting sponsor this season is Subaru. As a group of adventurers, you've probably heard of Subaru, but let me tell you about one of their cars that's a fan favorite, the 2020 Subaru Forester. Here are a couple reasons to love the Forester. Let's start with something we all care about, safety. The 2020 Forester has driver-focused distraction mitigation system, which helps guards against distracted driving. Have more than one person driving in the car? You can set it up so it recognizes up to five drivers. Technology is amazing. Next on the list is that Subaru is built to last. According to Experian Automotive, 97% of Forester vehicles sold in the last 10 years are still on the road today. It's hard to say goodbye to your Subaru. And last but not least is the fact that the 2020 Forester is the only non-luxury SUV that includes standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, which means better handling, and a quicker response to road conditions. What's not to love about the 2020 Forester? You can learn more about everything the car has to offer at Subaru.com. Disclaimer, Driver Focus is a driver recognition system designed to alert the driver if their attention to the road wavers or if the driver's face appears to turn away. Drivers responsible for safe and attentive driving. System effectiveness depends on many factors. See owner's manual. When we think of ninjas, we think of shadowy figures climbing buildings, leaping across rooftops, maybe brandishing a cool sword. But today we're talking about a different kind of ninja. Megan Martin is a real-life American ninja warrior. That's the name of the NBC show that Megan has been competing on every year since 2014, where she tackles extreme obstacles with names like the Warped Wall and the Jumping Spider. Over the years, American Ninja Warrior has become a platform for Megan to share her passion for climbing, and now she has a mission to get even more kids of different backgrounds on the wall themselves. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Personally, I'd say Megan is more of a superhero than a ninja. Known to some as Mighty Megan Martin, she's a born athlete and competitor. Megan is totally ripped, and she's been building on her strength and skills her whole life. From a childhood spent doing gymnastics to a stint doing pole vaulting through college, Megan is mostly a climber now, and her path has been a remarkably natural progression. I wasn't lying when I said she was born into it. So you got your start in athletics growing up doing gymnastics in Florida.
1: How did you get into that? So both my parents were gymnasts. My dad was a collegiate gymnast and then he went to the Olympic trials. But then my mom was a gymnast as well and she started coaching gymnastics at the age of 16 and she coached all the way up until her like mid 40s I believe. So once she had me like I was in the gym right away. So it was kind of like a easy thing to put me in because she was already at the gym. So putting me in gymnastics made the most sense.
0: You're so lucky.
1: That's so great. <laughs> because yeah. usually
0: the best athletes I know, like even in surfing, I'll meet these girls who've never learned to surf and they, they're they so good right away. And they're like, oh, I was a gymnast as a kid.
1: It's definitely a great sport for like any other sport. It just has like a base because I think it teaches you body awareness really early, as well as you get a lot of strength early on. So for example, when I started climbing, I already had ridiculous upper body strength, which like in girls in general, isn't as normal. So I think that helped me progress early on in climbing. You're actually strong as F and it is so
0: (laughs) cool to watch. Like really beautiful, strong women just crush it in their sport, and you're one of those women. Like, thank you. So you grew up pretty competitive, then.
1: Yes, grew up really competitive from the start. I'm also one of three girls, so oh, you are know, you the youngest? I'm the oldest, actually. Wow, yeah. interesting. Okay, yeah, I'm the oldest, so we all started in gymnastics, and yeah, I started doing competitions in gymnastics probably when I was like six or seven. I honestly don't even remember. I trained five days a week, four hours a day very early on, which, you know, was quite normal. And I was actually homeschooled in elementary school. So all I really did was (laughs) go to the gymnastics gym. And then I climbed a lot of trees growing up. That was when I was homeschooled, my mom used to make us read an hour a day. And so I would like climb up into the tree to read because I thought that was more exciting.
0: (laughs) Wait, tell me about this. So you're always an outdoorsy kid and you grew up in Florida.
1: Yeah. Which is kind of odd because Florida's not really the best place to be outdoorsy necessarily because it's so hot. So it's kind of hard to want to be outside. And then on top of that, like the water sports, sure they're fun, but there's alligators and like snakes in the water and sharks in the ocean. Like there's so many things that aren't necessarily conducive to wanting to be outside. So I was lucky enough to grow up the house we moved into when I was around seven. We had a really big yard. We had so many trees and I would climb all the trees. We had a ranch style fence that was like about four inches wide. My sister and I would like walk around the fence around the entire property. Like that was like a fun little thing we would do trying to not fall. (laughs) And then I remember at one point, some of the planks started separating. And so then they would like dip down a little. And it was like an added obstacle, which (laughs) we decided to keep doing. My mom's always been really chill and never like worrisome. So like, instead of being the mom that's like, don't climb up the tree stop walking on the fence. You can't jump off that waterfall. She's like, yeah, go ahead, do it. Oh, by the way, you should probably backflip off the waterfall. That makes the most sense. Like, so she always encouraged us to have fun. And I was never scared of that stuff, which was nice because I guess that's not really the norm.
0: (laughs) It's not really the norm, but I think having a mom who understands what that is like to flip upside down probably was really helpful. Yeah, I guess that's definitely part of it. (laughs) So it sounds like you had like a pretty fantastic childhood, which is really nice and like really supportive parents growing up in Florida. But how did you get into climbing? Because I don't think of
1: Florida (laughs) as like a rock climbing Mecca. It's definitely not the best place to get into climbing. Basically, I was a gymnast and my mom always said that like, with gymnastics specifically the idea was if you saw a child with talent you generally were trying to move them through the levels quickly because gymnastics is kind of scary right and the earlier you can learn skills and not be afraid of them the better and that's actually one of the things that made me want to quit gymnastics was I developed a fear of backwards tumbling so I spent like a year year and a half dealing with this where at practice, I'd have a hard time going. I'd always stop or balk is what we call it in gymnastics. And I, it was just so much, but in a competition, I would always do all my skills, but it was just too much stress. And I decided that I wanted to quit gymnastics. And my parents, basically, once I quit, my dad was like, okay, so you either need to find a new sport to do Or you're going to go to like a tutoring center and you're going to get extremely smart because you're going to get a scholarship to college one way or the other. (laughs) That was basically his plan. So I started playing soccer with a girl who quit gymnastics around the same time as me. And, you know, soccer was okay. I don't really like running a lot. So it wasn't like my favorite thing. So I played soccer for like one season and I happened to go to the climbing gym with the girl who had also quit gymnastics and we were on the same soccer team. Anyway, I walked in there and I like immediately fell in love. It was like so much fun. And the best part was it was 10 minutes from the gymnastics gym. So my mom could like drop me off before work, come pick me up like four hours later after work. And I just spent all day at the climbing gym. So you find rock climbing,
0: you absolutely fall in love and then you start competing right away.
1: Yeah. So I started competing. I remember I did my first local competition at the gym and I entered in women's beginner and I won. So I like competed against all different ages in that competition. And I was really excited because I had done well. And then after that, I joined the climbing team, which was like six kids at the gym. Climbing teams nowadays are way more Organized and they remind me more of like club gymnastics, the way that they're set up nowadays. But it was very lax back then. And I remember my mom being like, Oh, cool, climbing, this is awesome. It's so cheap. Like, all I have to buy you is shoes, chalk, and a harness. Awesome. Like, the team doesn't even cost that much money. This is great, which isn't the case now. It's definitely more expensive now. But back then, it was pretty cheap. So I started doing the youth competitions and I made youth nationals my first year for sport climbing, which At the time, I was in the twelve to thirteen age group, so I wasn't even lead climbing yet. I was just top roping (laughs) in the competition, Um, and I got third my first year. So, what
0: about competitive rock climbing? Did you love because you were really good, really fast?
1: I mean, I just love competition. I think because (laughs) like it's fun, right? It's a hard thing to explain. Like the feelings you get, the adrenaline—it's just so different, and it's cool to be able to test yourself in ways that you can't just in training. And, you know, I think it teaches good life lessons. I think losing is a a great life lesson and failing. I think all of that, the earlier you can get that, the better because that's life. (laughs) And then obviously it feels great if you do well, (laughs) all your hard work is paid off. Everything clicks. It's almost this poetic moment of everything just going perfect.
0: Can you walk me through what it's like to be in a rock climbing competition and just climb up the wall and what goes through your head and how you're responding to the crowd. Like, take me to that moment.
1: Totally. So it differs from discipline to discipline. For example, like a sport climbing competition, I feel like it always feels a little more nerve wracking because you only have one shot. So you like look at the route and then you start climbing. And basically your goal is just to get to the top without falling because that's your only shot. I feel like in that kind of a competition, you don't really notice the crowd as much. You're so focused and like present in every move you're making because you only have that one shot and breathing is something you're really paying attention to. I feel like I can always like hear myself breathe more when I'm sport climbing. Whereas with bouldering, bouldering is different because you have multiple climbs you're going to try and you're allowed to fall. You just have a time limit in which you need to complete something. So in that case, I feel like the crowd is something that helps you more. You're more involved with them. I feel like the vibe is just very different. You're obviously focused in the same way, but it's kind of more exciting and it feels like more of a show. All right, you like the show. Tell me about it, like why? Well, I've always wanted to be an actress and I I feel like I'm quite... Performer by nature, so I think for me, the show is fun. So, for me, going into a bouldering competition, the qualifier semifinal round is so much more stressful for me because, like, I just want to be in the show in finals. You want to be in the finals, yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to make the final because I wanna do well, but I also wanna make it the final because the experience is so awesome. It's something that like really gets me excited. Do you crowd hype? Totally, totally. I communicate, I feel like sometimes just with facial expressions and I'm definitely one that will take a second at the top to celebrate a little bit. I mean, I love the crowd. I'm I'm a big fan of the crowd.
0: <laughs> I love that Megan considers herself such a performer. A lot of people who do these individual sports are introverted, but Megan draws energy from other people and audiences. It's what makes her so well-suited to be both a competitor and commentator on the TV show, American Ninja Warrior. If you've never seen this show, well, contestants try to complete hardcore obstacle courses as fast as possible. It looks like a ton of fun and also extremely difficult. For example, one obstacle is called the Warped Wall, It's a nearly 15-foot-tall concave quarter pipe that competitors try to scale with a running start. Megan first appeared on the show in 2014. That year, she became the first female rookie ever to complete a qualifying round.
1: I competed in Denver my first year, and I honestly had no idea what I was doing. I... (laughs) Got an email about the show because they were trying to get more girls to get on the show and they thought climbing girls might be a good way to go about that. And so I like went to a gym a couple times prior. I had never even – like I had attempted a warped wall at this one gym, but it was, it was a really hard one. It was taller than on the show and I had almost done it multiple times, but I had never actually done it. But yeah, I remember getting to the set and it was like midnight and people had crash pads and like packed all these bags and i was like wait are we are we going to be here all night someone was like yeah and i was like wait i don't think i'm prepared for this maybe i should go home <laughs> and then i decided to stay and i almost didn't get to go because the sun was almost about to start coming up i think i went at like 5 a.m. my first year and the steps had frozen so they were having to like use blow torches and space heaters to get them to melt But on my first time on the show, I somehow got all the way through the qualifying course, did the Warped Wall on my third try. You get like three tries only and I was able to hit the buzzer at the end and that sort of became a big deal. That year, two other girls had done it as well. They filmed their episodes before mine was filmed, but they had both previously been on the show. So I was like the first girl to ever like do it on their first try. As a rookie. Yeah, which was kind of wild. But then it was a big thing. It was like the three of us have like hit buzzers and they like did this whole thing. And so once I did that, like it just kind of kept building throughout. And now I've been on the show for six years. And the last year was pretty awful. I competed with an injured hamstring, which was just not smart, but, you know, a good learning moment to listen to your body and maybe not do things (laughs)
0: How does someone train for American Ninja Warrior? Like those obstacles are amazing, but they're hard to replicate. So what do you do?
1: Yeah, they are really hard to replicate. And, you know, some people are a little luckier than others if they're by a gym that has a lot of stuff. When I lived in Colorado, the first couple of years, there was a parkour gym that had some stuff that I would go to. But then that one closed down. Then I would drive like an hour to this gym in Castle Rock that had a lot of really good obstacles. And then this guy I knew... In a concrete business and he had built in the basement of his concrete business a bunch of obstacles which I would go to those were always a little more sketchy like every time I went there I at least had a scrape like at least and one time one time I actually fell through a trampoline and got that hook caught on my like inner thigh I have the worst scar from it it was disgusting (laughs) oh you poor thing yeah Super sketch, but like, eh, whatever is worth it. But now like the closest gym to me is like an hour and a half away. <laughs> so it makes it kind of difficult. But luckily with climbing, it's definitely helpful. So I never really have to worry so much about upper body stuff. I just like generally always like a month before I film, I start trying to do obstacle stuff like once a week. But how do you find these obstacles? Like, aren't they pretty specific to the show? Yeah, you just have to find a gym. It's tricky, though, because there aren't as many as you would think. Even when a gym builds them, they're not, like, perfect replications. It's similar to climbing where it's, like, you're just practicing a bunch of movements, hoping that it prepares you enough for whatever they throw at you. Because climbing is the same way. Like, you're practicing for a possibility. You're not practicing for something specific. It's so different from, like, gymnastics where everything's so routine and you've got it so dialed. It's more like you need to make sure you have enough coordination to do, like, a double clutch in climbing or in Ninja Warrior to make sure you can like run across something quickly or- And jump. Yeah, jumping, trampolines. People like have, usually if you were never a gymnast, you have issues with trampolines. So that's a good thing to work on. It looks so fun and so scary. So tell me what it's like being up there. So- For me, the first year was the best year because there were no expectations. Now it's like, I'm always so nervous. I swear before I could get on top of that stage, I am like moments from tears because I'm so nervous. It's actually, it's kind of funny. I like sit there and I talk to myself and I'm like, okay, you can do this. This is fun. You're having fun. You're good at this. You know what to do. I just kind of like give myself positive mantras before I go because I'm really so nervous because And it's not even about the course. This just goes back to my personality. It's like, I don't want to let anybody down, which is like silly, but I don't want to mess up. And that's like embarrassing to me. And so I need to just get over that, but that's my own thing. But once you get on the stage, like, and once I'm through the first obstacle, then I'm like, good. I'm like excited to do the next one. And hopefully I have a plan and everything works out. But I'm pretty much really nervous until I'm through that first obstacle.
0: So what's it like with all these people watching you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of scary, especially because at this point, people know me from the show. So then like they actually know what's happening and they're like yelling my name and all of that stuff, which is really cool. It's awesome. But then I'm also like kind of nervous.
0: (laughs) So what do you say to yourself when you're nervous and you just keep going? Or do you eventually like zone out?
1: Once I'm running, once I'm through that first obstacle, I don't really notice it anymore. I notice like my sideline people, but like that's okay because I think they're helpful, you know, like my friends and family, like they're helpful. On the side talking to me. But even so, like sometimes I can't even hear what they're saying. <laughs> like, I remember last year, my friend Brian was trying to tell me something, and I literally, I'd, I'd never heard him, even though like he was clearly shouting at me. But I was like, so in the zone, I didn't hear him.
0: <laughs> I've read that you're big on being both feminine and strong. And it's so interesting to me that you paint your nails in the one sport where your nails would get absolutely trashed the most often.
1: I know, with climbing. That's why, like, thank goodness for gel because it lasts so much longer.
0: So tell me about being both feminine and strong and what that means to you.
1: You know, even when I was growing up, I don't think the idea of being strong as a woman was considered beautiful like it is now. I think that we've evolved so much and the world has finally realized that women can be strong and fit and still be considered beautiful. And they can also still be feminine There's this idea that athletic women are tomboys, which is also true sometimes, but it's not the only way that an athletic woman can be. For me, I've always liked dressing up and doing my nails and doing my hair and my makeup for a competition. I I, like for competitions. I look at it as like a performance. So I'm always trying to look my best. And I feel like when you feel good about how you are presenting yourself, you're going to also perform better, you know, whatever gives you the confidence. I mean, a lot of the nail painting that I did when I was younger, I was like, I would paint my nails the day before a competition because I was kind of freaking out about the impending competition, but it would take my mind off of it doing that, like just task of painting my nails and kind of relax me. And same with like doing my makeup in the morning before a competition, there's something about it that just takes my mind completely off of what's about to happen and lets me just worry about, you know, making myself look pretty or whatnot.
0: Megan celebrates her femininity and challenges typically gendered ideas of what it means to be strong. When she's competing, she's under a ton of pressure to perform, but she's also totally comfortable being herself, painted nails and all in front of millions of viewers. Unfortunately, it's been a lot harder to gather the kind of crowd Megan thrives in front of since the COVID-19 pandemic hit. When we return, we'll catch up with Megan about how she's keeping active under quarantine and how she wants to make climbing more accessible to more people. Here at Wild Ideas Worth Living, we're big fans of taking the path less traveled, And when it comes to chasing down audacious dreams, we found it helps to have a pair of trusty sandals that go the distance. One of our faves, the new Universal Trail Sandal from Teva. Born on the shores of the Grand Canyon in 1984, Teva has always encouraged exploration. They've injected the same trailblazing spirit into their newest sport sandal. Crafted with quick-dry materials and a comfortable, foot-hugging orioprene lining, The sandals' versatile Vibram outsole can tackle any terrain, from sidewalk to switchback. But the best part? Starting in 2020, 100% of Teva's iconic straps are made using recycled plastic, reducing environmental impact so future generations are free to explore. That's over 9 million plastic bottles kept out of landfills and put to better use by strapping sandals to your feet. So keep an eye out for the Universal Trail sandal this spring with select colors available exclusively at REI or on REI.com. Before the break, we establish what a badass rock climbing ninja woman Megan Martin is on stage and off. But even badasses have been affected by the global pandemic. So I wanted to see how Megan's life has been impacted by COVID-19, seeing as she's unable to attend events and perform in front of crowds the way she was used to.
1: I was getting ready to go commentate Sport and Speed Nationals literally right before, like, March 13th, 14th was the weekend that event was supposed to happen. And that's kind of when everything started changing in the U.S. So I found out that week the event was canceled. So all of that stuff kind of just halted. And then American Ninja Warrior, usually we film at the beginning of like spring. Actually, the first filming city was supposed to be March 13th, 14th weekend as well. And that got postponed. So everyone's just kind of sitting in limbo in terms of events. I model sometimes too. And I feel like all of that stuff changed. So I just found myself in a perpetual limbo state and home for the first time in a while uh, for a long time. Usually I'm home for maybe like three weeks to four weeks at most. And now it's been three months. <laughs> so I kind of had to change what I was doing and get a little more creative on the bright side Eventually, climbing became something that was more accessible outdoors. I mean, at the beginning of quarantine, it wasn't because there were different like rules involved with travel and whatnot or how much you could drive in the state. But that opening up has been really helpful for my mental state and having other things to focus on in the meantime. We built a climbing wall in the backyard, which was really what? great. Yeah, <laughs> it was really nice to have that as well. And yeah, I mean, the first week of quarantine was rough. I'm sure most people felt this. And it was like this unknown, right? We didn't know how long we'd be sitting at home, how long we'd be out of work. So about first week, I kind of just binge watched TV and like freaked out about the virus. And then after that, I was like, got to pull it together, I have to do something else. And I started doing these hit workouts. And that was kind of my first entree back into a routine. I mean, that's pretty normal that all of us
0: binged on Netflix and some of us still are. And that's totally OK. It's a really weird time. But you said you got into these hit workouts. So just tell us when you do these hit workouts, what does that look like? And why do you do it for your sport?
1: So for climbing, I feel like it's hard to get cardio just climbing. And I don't really like running, even though I used to be a pole vaulter. Um, I think people talk about a runner's high all the time. Never felt it. It always feels like I'm dying the entire time. So it's just really not for me. I'll do it if I have to, but I prefer not to. And with the HIIT workouts, the uh, high intensity interval training workouts, I feel like the way they can be broken up makes them feel like they're getting done faster. And you get such a good workout in a short amount of time. And I kind of like that feeling. So, you know, when you start, it's usually about like 25, 30 minutes of a workout. And at the beginning, it might seem like you have a long way to go. And then all of a sudden, you're halfway through the workout. And the way I've been doing them, I do four blocks of five minutes of work. So it's like constant work for five minutes of different like plyometric exercises, ab exercises, arm exercises. And then, yeah, it's just nice to know that it doesn't take too much of my time and then I'll be really tired at the end and I get my heart rate up. And so that's just like the goal. So it's just manageable to do for me because I don't like running.
0: (laughs) Are you making these workouts up on your own or are you having a coach design them for
1: you or is it an online class? I just made them up by myself. I used to do a lot of orange theory classes um, before I hurt my hamstring last year because I was just kind of starting to build up my leg muscle again. Prior to quarantine through like my PT and whatnot. So I hadn't really had a chance to get back into Orange Theory. But the idea of how they do their workouts, I liked. Even though they do use a treadmill and a rower, which I don't have at my house. But you can still kind of emulate that heart rate by doing exercises. It just means like more burpees and squat jumps and whatnot. But it's nice because you can do that stuff at home with no equipment really. And that was the other thing with quarantine is the minute it started, you couldn't get equipment anywhere online. So I was trying to just be creative. Like I'll do hammer curls with a detergent bottle or single leg deadlifts with a soup can because you have those things in your house. (laughs) So then you started offering these classes online. Is that true? I started a YouTube channel and I put them on YouTube for people to do if they wanted to, just because I figured if I was trying to find something to do, other people wanted that as well. So I thought I would just share. And I thought it was a great way to hold myself accountable to doing the workouts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So I'm going to ask you a more difficult question, but I want to talk about this because it's important. You're a black female in the sport of rock climbing, which is a really white dude sport. (laughs) <laughs> and I think it's changing, but I'm really curious. I know you're doing a lot yourself to change a sport. Talk to me about that and how you're hoping to bring climbing to not only more women, but to more people of color.
1: So for me, I'd kind of happened upon climbing. And I think that that's a similar story that a good percentage of the climbing community has. Like, obviously, there's some people who have family members who were climbers or they live near the mountains. But for a lot of us, I think... We probably just found ourselves in a gym because we grew up during the gym climbing age, luckily. And that's how we got into climbing. Because if I hadn't walked into this random gym in Florida, I would have never found it because neither of my parents are climbers. Before climbing, I was a gymnast, another sport that is predominantly white. So also, yes, I am black. I'm also white. My mom is white. So I'm biracial, but I do identify with both. And... I never thought about it so much that I was in sports that were predominantly white. It didn't like bother me per se to not see people like me. I guess just because I was so in love with what I was doing, which I think is okay. But I guess as I've gotten older, I did start to notice it a bit more. Or I noticed myself noticing growth even. Like with climbing, I climbed for four years as a kid and then I stopped for seven years. And when I came back to the sport, I was climbing professionally and coaching. And I just remember going to that first youth nationals and seeing how much climbing had grown since i was a youth kid like when i was a youth kid i didn't see anyone who looked like me and all of a sudden i was seeing a few kids here and there obviously still small numbers but to me i was like wow that that is so different from what i experienced and it's it's great to see it my goal has always been to make climbing more visible in general. And I think being on American Ninja Warrior, that was really helpful as a platform since it's on national TV to be able to talk about the fact that I, I am a rock climber because for most people, rock climbing is not something they know much about. I mean, even my family, I like aunts and uncles still don't necessarily a hundred percent understand what I do as a climber. So us to think the general public has any real idea. I mean, I think that in most cases, they don't. So with Ninja Warrior, I always felt like I had that opportunity to make it more visible. In the time that we're in now, I'm feeling more called to not just make it visible by doing what I'm doing, but make it visible more so on purpose. I feel like a big challenge with the outdoor community is the fact that depending on where you live geographically, or, you know, the family you were raised in, or whether or not you have a car to drive out to the mountains, like these are all things that can keep you from experiencing the outdoors at a younger age. So I hope that we can find ways to make it more accessible to people. And I honestly have this idea that it'd be cool to make it part of curriculum in public schools. I think that that would be a great way. And that's something I've been thinking about lately. I don't necessarily have any plans on how to make that happen. But I think that, you know, starting early with people would make it more accessible and just more known to people so that they can have the chance to get out and try it because you're not going to wake up one day in your 40s generally and have never been on a hike and think, I'm just going to go do a six mile hike by myself in the woods. I've never been in the woods, but that sounds like a great idea. So if we can just like introduce it to people earlier in more of a public way versus a private way, I think would be really helpful.
0: I think that's a great idea. I'm thinking about <laughs> it. and Access is really tricky in the outdoors. And even where I live in San Diego, there's kids mm-hmm. that have never been to the beach and it blows wow. my mind. And I'm part of this organization called Outdoor Outreach that takes kids in less advantaged areas, surfing and rock climbing and mountain mm-hmm. biking. And it's not a requirement at schools, unfortunately. Yeah. But if there was a program like that at every school, how awesome would that be?
1: Yeah, and I think the private programs are great, and I think that that's a great start. But again, it's like, how do you get people into the programs? Right? Why? Why can't we just start at school where they have to go to school? Everyone has to go to school. So if we start introducing it into the curriculum, everybody has to hike. Everybody has yeah. to climbing. Everybody has to. And maybe surfing. you don't like it, but at least you got to experience it.
0: As part of her efforts to make climbing more accessible and visible, Megan has worked to raise awareness about childhood obesity and diabetes, and she also mentors kids on American Ninja Warrior Jr. In addition, she and her sponsor, So Ill, have collaborated with the organization One Climb to bring climbing walls to more kids of diverse backgrounds through the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. So what is One Climb? Because I know you have this organization you are a part of and you feel really passionate about. Can you talk to us about it?
1: So Will has worked a lot with One Climb and I definitely believe in everything that they're doing. So what they've been trying to do is build walls at Boys and Girls Clubs so that the kids can learn how to climb at the Boys and Girls Club. Because what does the Boys and Girls Club do? It brings kids in and they teach them lots of different sports and guide them in different ways to, you know, be successful in life. It's the whole like mentorship program. So it's cool to add climbing to that list of things that the kids have an opportunity to try. So they've been doing great stuff with that. I think COVID obviously changes the timeline of some of the openings that they had planned, but they're getting donations to different boys and girls clubs all the time to build new walls so that they get like company support in order to make those walls happen. That's
0: fantastic. We'll have to link to that program in the show notes so if people want to contribute, they can. Yeah, totally. That'd be awesome. What do you want more people to know about your sport and what you do?
1: Climbing has a lot of layers. There's lots of ways in which you can climb. Some people only climb outside. Some people are competition climbers. Then on top of that, you have multiple disciplines of climbing. There's bouldering, sport climbing, speed climbing, trad climbing, free soloing. Like Alex Honnold does, for example, free soloing is different than free climbing, but generally people don't know that. Free climbing just means you're not using gear to get up a climb. You use the gear for safety, but you're not ever tugging on it or using it, just like back in the day. Free soloing, you have no protection and it's very dangerous. Yeah, there's just a big difference between being a competition climber and an outdoor climber. It's a different skill set. Both are amazing. And a lot of athletes do both. But the way that our sport has evolved, it's harder to spend the same amount of time outside if you're going to be a competitive climber. And it's a very difficult sport to be successful at in a competition realm, because it's always changing. You prepare for possibilities. You do not prepare for something planned. For example, gymnastics, you work forever on a routine. I guess it's probably similar in surfing. It's like you can surf all the time and catch all these waves, but you don't know what set you're going to get when you go out in the water in a competition. The same with climbing. We don't know what the root setters are going to set. We have all these things we do to prepare for movements and reading roots and whatnot. But when you get out there, it's something you've never seen before. So I would just like for people to know that just because we're rock climbers, we don't all do one thing. There's very different approaches you can have to how you spend your time climbing.
0: I just learned a lot, Megan. Thank you so much (laughs) for sharing. And I really appreciate you using a surfing analogy because that is the language in which I see the world. (laughs) How does
1: one get into climbing? People here are motivated. They want to start. Yeah. I mean- Prior to quarantine I would have said the easiest way is to go to your local gym and check it out but right now with gyms it's kind of uncertain some gyms are open but some of them have limited openings so maybe only members are allowed right now and we just we don't really know the future of gyms so back in the day people would generally start outside and that's something that if you have access to rocks you could I mean, I would suggest if you're going to go out climbing outside and that's your first experience, go with somebody who is a climber. Do not go alone. Don't go and try to wing it. Definitely look out maybe guiding services or if you have a close friend that knows what they're doing and you trust them, I think that's fine too. But once gyms do open, I think gyms are the safest and best place to start because there's lots of instruction and it's a controlled environment Climbing outside has more risk involved because even though a cliff has been there for a long time or a boulder, rocks break, things happen. You always have to remember that you're in nature. The same, again, with surfing. It's like, you don't turn your back on the ocean. It's a force. It's something that you have to respect and make sure you're taking all the right precautions when you are outside. What color nail polish are you currently rocking? Oh, it's like a—it's oh, this is a tricky color. It's a pastel color. I'm very into the pastels right now, but it's almost like like a lilac y, but with some more pink in there. I really don't know what the color is, but I think the name <laughs> of the color was dovetail. Which what does that even mean? I don't
0: know. <laughs> What's your favorite piece of climbing gear?
1: Um, my
0: shoes. Are you rocking the Jason Momoa Pink I am
1: not, but those are awesome. I'm really into, they have this shoe called the New Zero and it's gray actually, but that's my favorite shoe. I wear it all the time.
0: Mm, What's your favorite snack to take with you rock climbing?
1: String cheese. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) But that's awesome for you. It was my favorite snack as a kid. but I still love string cheese. I think they're so good. Hilarious. Any nutrition tips actually? Like you're pretty fit. I generally try to just eat very balanced. I have a huge sweet tooth. I also like wine. So I try to make sure I have proteins, good fats, veggies in like all my meals. And I also just really try to listen to my Body, because like you know, when you're kind of full, but you're thinking, "Oh, I'll just eat one more bite," I just stop once I'm full. I found that that really helps. That is so hard. It's so like, it I usually eat so like hard.
0: twenty things after yeah. I'm
1: full. It's really hard, but. Once you start doing it, I feel like it gets easier and you'll just feel better. <laughs> Any books you recommend that you've read, that you love, that you go back to? One of my all-time favorite books was Pride and Prejudice. I loved that one so much. It's super classic, though. By Jane Austen. It's like something you had to read in high school. I, know. Your high school. I like wrote a paper on it in high school. I absolutely loved it. I also – a really sad book, but there's a book that Carol Radzalow wrote called What Remains – it's kind of like a memoir. It's really good, but like really sad. So if you're ready to cry. I don't know. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. What's the weirdest task you've had to do during a Ninja Warrior challenge? Well, I can tell you the one I really disliked. They used to have this obstacle called the rolling log where you would like hold onto it and it would like roll down and you'd be like flipping over and over and over. It makes you so dizzy and you never know where you are. And the next thing you know, you're like, on the pad, hopefully some people end up in the water and it like ugh I hated that obstacle so much. I would be really happy if I never have to do it again.
0: What's your favorite obstacle?
1: Generally anything that involves like jumping, there's this one called the hourglass drop where you jump from a trampoline to this like plank that kind of moves and then you have to shimmy down the plank and drop down onto a trampoline back up. That one was really fun.
0: That sounds really fun. So We ask all of our guests this one question, any advice to people who just want to live a little more wildly? Maybe they feel stuck. Maybe they've got a dream that seems daunting.
1: What can they do? I think the best thing to do is to go for it. Maybe give yourself a timeline if you're worried about that kind of thing, but like, you really just need to go for it and stay positive and surround yourself with people who are going to support you and support what you're doing, I mean, because the more positivity you have around you, I think the more successful you'll be.
0: There's a lot you can accomplish when you're surrounded by a network of supportive friends, family members, and fans. It's one of the reasons Megan mentors kids and wants to give more of them the opportunity to try climbing. Your next wild idea might only seem possible when someone who cares about you gives you a boost. Megan, thank you for being a badass. And thank you for sharing your message with us about improving access to rock climbing and other outdoor activities. It was great to have you on the show. You're a total superstar. I can't wait to hang in person one day. You can find links to Megan's favorite books, her favorite shoes, and more by heading over to our show notes at rei.com forward slash wild ideas worth living. You can also follow Megan on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At Megan Martin89. Her website is meganmartinclimbing.com. That's Megan spelled M-E-A-G-A-N. You can also find her hit workout videos on YouTube at Megan Magoo. That's Megan M-E-A-G-A-N M-A-G-O-O. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI podcast network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sam Pierce Nitzberg. And produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motula and Joe Crosby, and our presenting sponsor is Subaru. Join us the week after next. I'll talk to Joe Kudla about how he juggles running a men's athleisure company, Viore, as well as being a husband and father and making time for staying fit. As always, we appreciate when you subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas.